everyone. Welcome back to Forgive and Forget. I'm Vic. This is part two of Can People Change? Of course we can change, but it's effort we do not have as caregivers. Plus, life outside of caregiving change is not our first enthusiastic choice, is it? Usually, we change when forced to. The first few years of caring for mom were so bad. I knew that if I didn't do something, do things a bit differently, change slightly, I wasn't going to live through it, and I almost didn't. Change is hard, and when I tell you where its inception is, I bet your first thought is, well, that's not so hard. Change starts by taking one extra split second to think again about a situation or a person and how we want to respond. Not react, but respond. Not knee-jerk reaction, but respond. Respond equals change. This is worth repeating. Change starts by taking one extra split second to think again about a situation or a person and how we want to respond. This does not mean we necessarily start acting differently right away, which is totally fine. Change takes time and starts by taking that extra split second. If you can manage at least that much, that is huge. Now, I realized we are frazzled to stop and think about anything. Think about what is actually happening to us. All we know is we're unhinged. What also happens to me is I start behaving like mom. No offense, mom. I can't remember words. I space on appointments or I mix up their date and time. I'll show up at the right time, but on the wrong day or vice versa. My brain is simply on overload. And when my brain is that full, that jammed up, I don't react well. Yes, I said react on purpose. Now that I think of it, I don't react or respond well. (laughs) Ever be paralyzed by judgment that is framed as a question like, why is taking care of your mom so hard? I always got so mad at myself when I couldn't come up with three things to say because everything was hard or they didn't sound demanding enough on their own. Another favorite that paralyzed my reaction because my brain was so full, what's so hard about living with an alcoholic? I'd freeze. I couldn't come up with two of the 87 things of why living with an alcoholic was tough, not without sounding overreactive and petty myself. By the way, I refer to Jimmy as well as my mom in part one to illustrate a technique. So I will be continuing to refer to them today. My point is we're too busy dealing to stop and think about what our overload is actually doing to us. But this technique very quickly shows us where we are stuck and why and moves us forward to protect ourselves and our boundaries. So I'm asking you to just start thinking about taking that extra split second. Quick, quick recap. The first part of the technique I talked about in part one, it gives us a reading 
a very precise reading on where we are at or how we feel about a situation or a person and whether we can even move on or not. The second part of this technique, which is today's podcast, pulls our feet and ankles out of the wet cement before it dries. I talked about three emotions in part one that keep us stuck in the wet cement and why the first part of this technique is even necessary. Do you remember what the three emotions are? Do you remember what the first part of the uh, technique is? Um, First, before I tell it to you again, think of a situation that has you totally balled up. The two examples I gave in part one show how this technique can work with anything. Okay, so you got your circumstance. Okay, now place your finger or your hand over your heart and say out loud, this is up to me. I know it sounds silly, but here's why it is not. Saying this is up to me is telling ourselves, giving permission that it is up to us to protect our own boundaries when they're being pushed or blown apart. When we say this is up to me out loud, it adds a louder accountability where we can feel our response better. Of course, we can say this quietly to ourselves, but the impact, however, is really not as powerful. Using mom and caregiving as an example, even though she does not push or blow apart my boundaries on purpose, that doesn't mean my care for her isn't any less distressing or that my boundaries are any less pushed or blown apart. And with Jimmy, he wasn't going to suddenly realize what his drinking was doing to me or our family, our business and credit score. So I had to protect myself and the safety of our family, our business, our credit score. And with everyone else who pushes our buttons and our boundaries, they don't care. We have to determine what our circumstance or this person is doing to us. So the second part of this technique that moves us forward, gets our feet out of the wet cement, coming up. So let's get started. This phrase triggers a response we can feel in our gut. Our gut does not lie. This phrase, this is up to me, lets us know whether we are stuck in denial, blame, or expectation. If I don't know where I'm at with denial, blame, and expectation, how can I change? If I'm not even aware how someone else's behaviors are affecting me, how can I protect myself? That is the importance of the first part of this technique. The second part of this technique that gets us moving forward, gets our feet out of the wet cement, is asking, what can I do? And not just, what can I do? But what can I do that protects myself, my safety, my health? Remember in part one when I told you I kept asking myself the question, what can I do to make Jimmy drink less? It's the second part of that question where I messed up. My coming up with ways to make Jimmy do or not do something was my error in judgment. What I needed to ask a lot sooner than I did was, 
what can I do to protect my safety, my emotional health, my health? With mom, I was coming up with a thousand ways to pretty much fix her Alzheimer's rather than stop and take a second to see what my efforts were doing to myself. First of all, I can't fix, heal, or cure dementia. So moving forward means asking ourselves the question, what can I do that will protect my boundaries? Earlier when I was talking about how powerful words are, it made me think of something I read, um, gosh, about, I think, 20 years ago. A little book, you can read it in one sitting by um, Emoto, um, uh, Dr. Oh, Dr. Marisu, Marisu Emoto. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list forever, and I think it still is. But it changed how I view the impact of words and thoughts. The book is loaded with photographs of water, beakers of water identified with words. What Dr. Emoto did was freeze the water and take pictures of the crystals formed. And depending on what word was taped to each beaker, they froze in either brilliant, colorful, beautiful patterns, or they froze in these distorted, incomplete, irregular designs. The name of his books are something like The Power of Water uh, or uh, The Messages in Water. I'll look it up and, and put it on the Forgive and Forget website. But really, unless you have the emotional depth of an earthworm, who hasn't had a visceral reaction to words? When someone has a come-to-Jesus talk with us, how do we feel? Vulnerable? Self-conscious? Uncomfortable? I was reading uh, or listening to the audiobook, The Choice, read by the author, Dr. Edith Eager. True story about World War II, Hitler, and Auschwitz. Incredibly powerful book. I highly recommend it. Words matter. Words do impact us and why this phrase is not silly. Here's another angle of why this technique works in all situations. What about the people we work for or with? If they are condescending, unfair, putting us down to any degree, what'll that do to our self-worth over time? How about our physical safety? We could be hit, physically abused, or verbally abused. Ever been on the receiving end of that? Hey, a broken heart or a broken spirit can be just as painful as a broken limb. Do you think being in any one of these situations could wear us down to the degree we have a heart attack or a stroke or we actually consider ending our own life? If you don't believe that it will, let me remind you the statistic of caregivers who die before our loved one pushes 70%. The second part of this technique is probably the most important phrase we can ever say to ourselves. What can I do that will protect myself? What will protect my safety, my sanity, and my health? On a more common platform, something that isn't as extreme as dementia or addiction, what about tolerating behavior that is dishonest uh, or unfair or bordering narcissistic? 
how long should we tolerate bad behavior? Should we draw a line, set limits so we don't wind up at the brunt of something or someone else? Yes, absolutely we should. So Mark and Darlene's story, I said I'd tell you in part two. So they were married 13 years ago. I've known Mark since fourth grade, Mr. Eckert's class. And do you know I can still rattle off roll call? (laughs) Darlene is nice, but not the kind of person I thought Mark would marry. He's warm and fuzzy. Darlene is a bit cold and abrupt. I understand she had a rough childhood, but I'm sorry. That's not a permanent excuse to disrespect people. Darlene is kind of a glass half full gal. If someone has upset her, which is quite often, she never lets it go. And watch out if she doesn't get her way. Anyway, a darker side of her is she's a gambler, a poker player. And her gambling has punctured their financial safety net more than once in 13 years of marriage. Instead of talking anything through, she shuts the conversation down by saying, I've been this way my entire life. It's who I am. I'm never going to change. It's just the way it is. And she said this to me one afternoon uh, when we were visiting, and this was her response to something entirely different. I don't even remember what we were talking about. And she made that statement. I've been this way my entire life. It's who I am. I'm never going to change. It's just the way it is. I stopped. I put my lemonade down, looked over at her, and with a raised eyebrow, I said, wow, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And do you know, (laughs) she got up and left. Yay. Um, When I had a chance to visit with Mark again in person, I asked him, you know, "Where, where are you with all of this? And he said, I'm done. I'm getting myself and our son out of the circus. I'm going to protect our finances, and I'm going to find her somewhere else to live. Now, change didn't happen overnight. Again, it, everything takes time. But, wow, thank God he got there for his sake and his son's. So how do we handle someone like this? I mean, obviously, we heard what Mark did. But how do we handle someone that is so calcified that all we want to do is kick or dribble their narcissistic, self-centered butt down the block? The answer is usually in the question. So we handle somebody like this. We can limit our time around them. We can pivot our position, jump over the pothole. We can kick them off our porch or out of our home. This is what protecting our boundaries and safety and health looks like. What we feel is respect is in alignment with our boundaries. And when our boundaries are respected, we feel respected. This is one of many, many reasons why caregiving is so bloody difficult. Our boundaries are annihilated constantly, not on purpose, but that doesn't make it any less demanding or tough. Frankly, I think it makes it worse to process. Very, very difficult. I brought up Darlene and Mark. I brought up Jimmy in addition to mom's dementia in these last two podcasts to show how in different ways our boundaries and safety gets pushed around. So can you see how this technique is all about protecting ourselves, safeguarding our boundaries? Do you know that by your being open 
to this technique, you have not only defended yourself in the most respectful way, but you have done away with guilt. I know. How can that be? The next podcast shows us how this technique can eliminate guilt. Also, there are three more emotions or nouns or verbs, depending, worthy of identifying because they keep us just as stuck. These three are siblings and cousins to denial, expectation, and blame. Man, kind of makes you wonder what the name of that family is, you know? (laughs) The siblings are attachment, control, and influence. The right and wrong side of attachment, control, and influence. Plus two phrases that also defy guilt, that gets us off our own backs and the backs of others, but mainly off our own backs. So good stuffings coming up next. Great job. Thank you guys very, very much for hanging in there with me and being open to a technique that for me works. Thanks for allowing me to walk with you today or take a drive. Reminder here, it's okay to listen or read or watch something more than once to grasp or understand it better. I sure do. Oh my gosh, you should see some of my books. (laughs) They're pretty worn dog-eared and lovingly tattered. All right, take care you guys and I will walk with you again soon. Bye-bye.